Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What is up, fight fans? We welcome you in to another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I am your host, Dan Canobio, and wow, where do we even begin this week? Uh, this is actually version 2.0 of this episode. I had a uh, show in the, uh, you know, ready to go with Tiafimo Lopez as my guest. Uh, I was going to break down his fight. I'm still going to break down the other fights this weekend, but I had Tiafimo Lopez ready to go to talk about his fight with, with George Camposos. That fight is no longer happening as it has just been re- uh, broken news that Tiafimo Lopez has tested positive for COVID-19. His fight is off. Uh, they're rescheduling it uh, for August 14th as of right now. Uh, that news sent shockwaves through the boxing world as we were, uh, you know, set into a little bit of a frenzy, a lot of speculation, you know, with it's not just boxers, not just this situation, a lot of with athletes. Are they getting vaccinated? Are they not getting vaccinated? Uh, I've heard uh, a lot of different things, but the reality of the situation is that Tiafimo Lopez will not be fighting uh, this Saturday against George Camposos. Uh, he will then be now moving to August 14th. And as we know, heading into this week, Top Rank had amended his deal and was scheduling an October 2nd ESPN pay-per-view, giving him a little bit of a raise. That date has now been moved back. So many moving parts here. George Camposos put out a statement, uh, did not wish... Uh, Teofimo Lopez, a speedy recovery, said he was reckless, said it was uh, he's been in camp for 13 weeks away from his family. If anything, it's going to give him more motivation to knock out Teofimo Lopez. Uh, those will be fighting words. Camposos has been talking a lot of trash during the lead up to this fight. But, uh, you know, you have to think you have to as boxing fans, you speculate, you know, a, a fight like this, uh, from what I've heard. Uh, was not doing soup like that great at the gate. Um, as we know, it is a very busy weekend, so it's got a lot of competition that night. Triller is going through some types of things behind the scenes. Yes, they lost Mike Tyson. Uh, they have lost Jake Paul. I'm not saying anything here that any speculation that Tiffany has made up the fact that he has COVID. He has COVID-19. I confirm that. He is sick. He is symptomatic. So, Wow. What, what does this mean for, for, for him going forward? What does this mean for Triller? Uh, they have said that they're going to move forward now. There's going to be a fight in August. They're still saying that uh, Oscar De La Hoya's comeback will be some type in September. He still doesn't have an opponent. But that is the news coming out of Tifima Lopez camp. Uh, that fight is off. I'm sure there's going to be even more news as by the time this podcast hits your feed and by the time this podcast is over on uh, Fubo Sports Network, Pluto, Boxing Channel, wherever you take this uh, this show in. So that is the news that we got today about Tiafimo Lopez. Speedy recovery to Tiafimo. Uh, I know that the Marlins have a home game August 14th uh, in Miami, so it looks like Miami won't be the day or won't be the venue. Uh, maybe they bring it to New York City where Tiafimo is a big draw. He's from here. Uh, he won his first title here. There are a ton of Australians here in, in, in New York. Maybe we get that in an outdoor venue, MSG. A lot of moving parts here, and of course, I'll have you covered. And I'll, I've reached out to Tiafimo, and uh, maybe uh, we can get him on the show to clear up all the air. So that is some of the news. But there's more news. 
Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury went face-to-face today after, uh, as I record this in Los Angeles for their only press conference in the lead-up to their third fight, which is July 24th. And the story to come out of this was Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder chose not to speak. Yes, he did address uh, the crowd and the media at the dais. Didn't say a lot. Promised bloodshed, promised to win. Went back to his seat, put his noise-canceling headphones on, and let Malik Scott, his new trainer, do the speaking, do the talking. Malik Scott got into a back-and-forth with Tyson Fury. Uh, uh, Christina Poncher tried to ask Deontay Wilder some questions. He wasn't having it. He kind of sat there. Uh, it, it is what it is at this point. I put out a tweet that Deontay, whenever Deontay Wilder speaks, people get mad. Whenever Deontay Wilder doesn't speak, people get mad. And people got upset about that tweet. But if you take a look at it, just look back. He made all the excuses. He made all the accusation, accusations. He had the crazy stuff about the costume, getting drugged, firing Breland. I disagreed with all of that. Did I? Did we really want to see that today? I'm actually relieved that this didn't come out. I'm actually relieved that this wasn't the main focus of this third fight. I thought that it could have got real ugly. I thought that the promotion could have started to delve into racial stuff. I thought it could delve into conspiracy theories. I thought it can delve uh, into uh, a back and forth, uh, ugly stuff. You know, we know that they lost money on the second fight. It did not live up to expectations at the box office. Didn't live up to expectations uh, in pay-per-view buys. What is the laziest way to promote a fight? You get into race, you get into uh, conspiracy theories, two things that are dominating outside the boxing world in this country today. So I was actually somewhat relieved not to hear the accusations, not to hear the cheating stuff. I understand that Deontay Wilder said all those things, but he said them already. They're, it's over with. Let's focus on the fight. Yes, I understand. He could have went back and forth. It could have been a time for him uh, to face the music, so to say. But what was he going to say? You know, Fury was going to go back and forth with him. He maybe would have got a few barbs, and he still got a few barbs in Fury on Deontay Wilder. Not only that, you take a look at how the media has been reporting the or, or been trying to report the facts with Deontay Wilder over the last year. I hadn't did not see, maybe I'm wrong, I did not see one reporter bring up this arbitration ruling that it could potentially uh, prevent the uh, Joshua versus Fury fight. I saw a lot of reporters talking that they th thought that Wilder should have took step aside money that apparently wasn't even produced, wasn't even offered to Deontay Wilder. So he probably has a beef with the media. He doesn't want to do any talking. It's the third fight of a trilogy. the third fight. How much more selling do you need to do? You're either going to buy this fight or you're not going to buy this fight at this point. I think Wilder getting up there and talking, bringing up the cheating and the acquisition and all that stuff, accusations, it would have done more harm than good. So, so there it is. I understand that it made some people uh, upset. Uh, you know, there's a lot of press conference heads out there, you know, reading into it. I think Fury's going to win the third fight. I think he has his number. Take a look. They fought 20 rounds. How many of those has Tyson Fury won? Maybe 17 of them? Not to mention a few knockdowns in there. I know Wilder has a few knockdowns in there, too. So what more do you want from... from from Deontay Wilder. What does he have to go up there and say? He said what he had to say at the beginning. I don't think this fight needs any more, any more marination. I don't think this fight needs any more selling points. The fans are going to either buy it, they're going to support it, or they're not. I think it, it made a different type of buzz. 
He didn't go up there and speak. That's the story. Him not speaking is saying something at Deontay Wilder. I don't agree with the, the cheating stuff. I, I think that's I, I honestly think that cheating stuff was a low point for boxing. And it takes a lot uh, to, to find a low point in boxing. You know, uh, sullying uh, Mark Breland's name, bringing up crazy accusations to Deontay Wilder of cheating, you know, padding his gloves, cracking his skull. That was a low point in boxing. It was an embarrassing time. Why rehash that? Why bring that back? So we can relive it again just to drum up a couple more pay-per-view buys? Come on. Let's let this fight happen. May the best man win. And then we can hopefully go on to see a undisputed fight uh, sometime at the end of the year or early uh, 2021. But as for me, my pick, I'm still going with Tyson Fury. I picked Deontay Wilder to win the second fight. I did not believe that Tyson Fury would come in at 275. I did not believe that Tyson Fury would step to Deontay Wilder. He did both those things. I was shocked that night. I was wrong. I'm not afraid to say I was wrong. For this third fight, I'm going with Fury. I liked a lot what Malik Scott said. I like the fact that, that Fury is, looks like he's very focused. I'm sorry, that Wilder is very focused. He can still land that bomb. I don't think that Fury will look as good as he did in the second fight. And I don't think Wilder will look as bad as he did in the second fight. So therefore, it could produce a classic. That's what Bob Arum was pretty much insinuating that whenever the heavyweights step into the ring, even though that, that second fight was one-sided, it was still exciting. I believe this third fight's going to be a classic. I, I think both guys uh, have a little bit of ring rust. That could actually play into the hands of, of, of Wilder because Fury is a guy that depends on rhythm in there. I don't know. I think it's fun times. I think it's good times for the, the world of boxing. I think a lot of people are reading a little too much into Deontay Wilder not speaking. Um, I saw some stuff from some reporters out there saying that it's, you know, you're out there. It's a press conference. You have to address the press. You don't have to talk to the press. He went up there and said what he had to say at the beginning and then chose not to, to, to talk to the press. They didn't ask questions up there. It was, it was Christina Poncher asking the questions. So... I don't know. We'll, we'll see now from Deontay Wilder. I'm sure he'll do some more interviews. I'm sure you'll catch him on YouTube. You know, press conferences aren't the only way to get info these days. Maybe in the 80s and 90s. You know, I watched the, the Kings documentary when they went on a 14 city tour. You don't have to do that anymore. You'll hear from Wilder uh, on all these interviews. I understand that he usually gets these softball questions uh, and, uh, you know, where he that's where he you know brought up a lot of those the cheating stuff. But if you really want to hear Wilder speak, I'm sure you, there's fine can find ways uh, to get that. I'm pumped for that third fight. I'm pumped for Pacquiao uh, versus Spence. I'm pumped for this weekend still, despite the fact that Tiafimo's not fighting this weekend. I'm looking forward to all the fights. I'm, on the other side of things, I'm going to break them all down and give you some under-the-radar fights for what is easily the busiest weekend of 2021. You ready to break down some fights? I'm ready to break down some fights. This is one of the busiest boxing weekends of the year. One fight card is off, Triller, with Tiafimo Lopez uh, now uh, having to withdraw because he tested positive for COVID. He actually just put out a statement on uh, Instagram confirming it. So we're down to four cards, or I believe, and there is also a fifth independent pay-per-view from Guadalajara, Mexico, featuring Anderson Silva boxing Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., eight rounds. Uh, Chavez Sr. is boxing in an exhibition against Camacho Jr., uh, you got Canelo's brother also fighting on that card. Marcos Viegas from the Fight Hub 
uh, is uh, scoring the bout. I was actually going to be a part of the broadcast hosting it. I had prior commitments. So uh, order that pay-per-view if you're interested in entertainment, because I do think that it's going to be uh, quite entertaining uh, over there on uh, uh, in, in Mexico. All right. But going down in Las Vegas over on ESPN, let's start with Nayua Inoue, who is the monster. Do you have him number one? Do you have him number two in your pound for pound list? I got him number two right behind uh, Canelo Alvarez. He fights Mac- Michael Desmarinas over on ESPN. And now, uh, as we know about Inoue, he's the Ring Magazine WBA and IBF Bantamweight uh, champion. He's got all the accolades. He is the monster for a reason. Uh, his promoter, his Japanese promoter, has come out and said that it's not just enough for him to go in there and win. You know, he has to entertain. Yes, I'm looking at you, Shakur Stevenson, who dominated his fight but didn't go for the knockout, didn't get that buzz. Inoue's promoter in Japan wants him to knock out Dasmarinas in spectacular fashion so he can continue to live up to that monster mystique. Uh, a smaller guy like him has to go out there and, and really make a statement. Now, we, in a sport that's dominated by the big guys, the heavyweights, the heavyweight division, look at Wilder and Fury on a stage today, uh, you know, taking over the boxing world. These smaller weight guys, these little guys like Inoue, who has all the talent and all, and all the skills, they got to go above and beyond and dominate. They got to go in there and take out their opponent's spectacular fashion. And I totally believe that's going to happen with Michael Desmarinas, who is the IBF mandatory uh, Filipino fighter managed by Sean Gibbons. So you know that he's going to come and, and bring it. But let's be honest, the IBF mandatories that they've been trotting out there, you know, Josh Taylor's opponent before Jose Ramirez, not good. Uh, you know, there hasn't been that many good mandatories from any of these, uh, you know, organizations. But it is what it is. When you have all those belts, you got to face mandatories. That's the name of the game. But in a way, is a fierce, fierce offensive fighter, a dynamo, literally can do everything inside of the ring, knockout power, jabs, defense, activity, you name it. He's got a killer instinct. Just take a look at his plus minus ranking 14.4 plus minus ranking that ranks fourth in all of boxing that is hit and don't get hit that is a true measure of an elite fighter 14.4 which is slightly above terrence crawford good for fourth all time so he fourth uh, currently he's climbing the ranks right now in a way that right there is the true mark of of being elite hit and don't get hit. It's the name of the game. Uh, there's some big names ahead of him. Uh, if it in a way is climbing up that plus minus ranking, he lands 23 punches around. Whenever you get above 20, you're averaging over 20 landed around. You're having big rounds every single round. That's an impressive, impressive number. Uh, he throws a lot of punches too, 66 around. So 23 landed, 66 thrown for in a way. Those are both well above uh, the averages at Bantamweight. Now, I talked about how he's a complete fighter. How about this? He lands nine jabs per round, in a way. That is second in all of boxing, only behind Triple G, who I think is the best, uh, has the best jab in all of boxing over maybe over the last 10 years. So, in a way, he can do it in a number of different ways. He can box your ears off. He can knock you out. Uh, you know, he, he's got angles in there. The guy is the total package, and he's a just such a great competitor in there and i think top rank in espn really have to uh you know take a look at his career and move him along the proper way because i think this guy could be a huge huge star uh in the u.s but they got to keep him active he hasn't fought since halloween night that's not enough get this guy active get him going uh now another thing too is in a ways fight with donaire is now being brought back into the spotlight because of Donaire's win two weeks ago, picking up the WBC title. People are trying to make sense of it. They're trying to think, how did this fight age? 
Uh, you know, let's give Donaire more credit for what he did in there. Yes, Donaire fought well. He fought better than expected. And that's usually the case when you're fighting an elite fighter. Sometimes you get more credit than you deserve because you're simply doing better than people thought. We saw that with BJ Saunders against Canelo. A couple of guys gave him some rounds because he was simply doing better than many expected. That was the case with Donaire and Inouye. Yes, broken orbital bone. Donaire landed a bomb uh, in Inouye. But take a look at the final three rounds. When champions are made, when the going gets tough, how do they respond? Inouye dominated over those final three rounds. 82 to 34 edge in total connects in rounds 10, 11, and 12. With a broken orbital bone, when things got tough, Niowa Inouye landed 82 punches in nine minutes on a Hall of Famer in Nonito Donaire. So there's some perspective on how that fight went down. I hope they fight again. We'll get to that in a second. Who is Michael Dasmarinas? He's two inches taller than Niowa Inouye. He's a southpaw. Like I said, knucklehead boxing. The guy's going to come in there and look to win. He's not going to, you know, just getting a paycheck. To say he likes to go to the body is a massive understatement. Fifth, over his last two fights, 57% of his landed punches were body shots. The CompuBox average for body shots is 29%. This guy goes in there and just targets those ribs. So I expect him to go in there, fight like a southpaw, use angles, be tricky, go to the body, try to last, <laughs> try to go the distance with Inouye, a guy that, like I just said, wants to go for the knockout. What's next for Nayo Inouye? A move to 122 seems inevitable, but there's still work to be done at 118. There's, it's a hot division right now. Uh, Rigandau is fighting Casemiro for Casemiro's belt. Uh, Donaire, like I just said, has the WBC belt. Maybe they can work out a deal in a way in Donaire, a rematch ESPN pay-per-view if you have to do it. Uh, fans will tune in for that. Uh, there's a lot of business to be made at 118 before Inouye moves up to 122. Maybe he wants to be undisputed there. That would be great. But they got to keep this guy active. Top rank has a star on their hands, a pound for pound, an all-time great. Uh, let's get the movement going. Let's get in a way all over, uh, you know, ESPN. Let's go over to Jamal Charlo, Juan Macias Montiel. Uh, this is over on Showtime main event. Charlo's WBC middleweight crown or title on the line. Now, Charlo's numbers don't jump out at you if you look at just on, on paper, uh, but his last performance, which I thought was his best, over Sergey Devonchenko, told me a lot about who Charlo is and what he's going to continue to be uh, in the second half of his career because he is over 30 uh, years old. Devonchenko fought him tough. Devonchenko landed the most punches ever on, on Charlo. He threw the most punches. He landed the most in, in one round. Uh, 27 landed on, on Charlo. He gave him tough rounds, Devonchenko. But you can also make the case that Charlo handled Devonchenko better than Triple G did and Jacobs did. But to play devil's advocate, Triple G took a lot out of Dervinchenko. The guy's been through a lot of wars. But I'm not trying to take anything away from Charlo's performance that night, uh, which was also around uh, Halloween in 2020. Charlo, he, when the going got tough, he shined. He, his jab was precise. His, his power punching was precise. Doesn't go to the body. That's just not who he is. Uh, you know, why go to the body when you're having so much success up top? But which Charlo will show up against Juan Macias Montiel? It's a gross mismatch. It's one of the fights on the Showtime uh, rollout that I thought, uh, you know, was not too pumped for. It is what it is. Uh, Charlo, it's tough for him to get opponents at, at, at this time in, in his career. He should be getting, you know, the Andrades of the world, uh, the Triple G. Triple G wants no part of, of Charlo. I think, I think that's been made clear. But, you know, which Charlo are we going to get? The guy that went to distance with Karbov, the guy that went to distance with Brandon Adams? Although Adams, you know, he's coming on of late, but or 
Are we going to get the Charlo that, that was going in there taking heads off, you know, knocking out Julian Williams, knocking out Hugo Centeno, knocking out Patrick Hyland? I want to see that Charlo show up on Saturday night. What's next for him? Like I said, Triple G doesn't want any part of him. Uh, you know, the fight with Andrade doesn't seem like that's going to come into fruition as much as Chris Mannix wants it to happen. A move up to 168 seems like the most logical thing for Jamal Charlo, who is on the north side of 30 and can see his career starting to, uh, you know, it's it's moving on. It's it's moving up his career. He sees his brother, Jamal, fighting for, for legacy, uh, going for undisputed at 154 against Castaño. I think a clash at 168 with Benavidez would be box office. He can make a ton of money there, and then he can move up, and he can uh, he's going to move up at 168. Then he can potentially fight Canelo. Everyone wants to see Charlo versus Canelo. It's the fight that I want to see the most. And of all the opponents out there for Canelo, I want to see him fight Jamal Charlo. But this fight can reach its peak if Charlo goes up to 168 and fights Benavides. The winner gets Canelo. Huge pay-per-view at the end of 2021, maybe 2022. Even if he fights a top 10 guy at 168 before Canelo, still, I, I take that. But I think Charlo, his time at 160 is done. He has nothing more to prove. Go up to 168, get that Canelo fight, give us entertainment. Uh, Jaime Munguia is fighting over on the zone pay-per-view. That is a the uh, zone 3.30 Eastern uh, time main event. So you can watch Munguia uh, at 3.30 Eastern and then go on to your, your however you're going to watch the, the other fights uh, you know, that night. But Munguia, we know what he is at this point. He's an offensive fighter, offensive dynamo. You know, 23 punches landed around, close to 70 thrown. Defense is getting better. That's been the knock on Munguia is that his defense, he's not a good defensive fighter. Over his last five fights, his opponents are only landing 26% of their punches. So he's improving. He's an improving fighter. He's a young fighter, but he's an entertaining fighter. I think a lot to be, there's a lot to be said about entertaining fans today. Just, heck, look this week, there's four or five different cards. How are you getting fans' attention? By being an entertaining fighter. It doesn't mean that you have to go in there and brawl. You know, I, I'm never a big advocate for that. You know, we're not going to the hospital with you after the fight. We're not the ones that have to live potentially with CTE and, and all that stuff. But go for it. Throw 23 punches around. Be a defensive fighter. Work on your defensive skills to go along with your offensive stuff, which is what Jaime Munguia has. Camille Sharameto, you know the name. He fought Triple G last. Uh, a decent guy. I think he'll give uh, Munguia some rounds. It was supposed to be Selecki that fight. Uh, did not happen, obviously. So Sharameta versus Munguia. Maybe Munguia gets Andrade at 160. Maybe he goes up to 168. Munguia wants Triple G. I mean, they were supposed to fight a few years ago. Remember that? And, but Vanny's Martirosian stepped in instead. Uh, you know, I think Munguia is still learning. I think that he's still young. He's getting better. And uh, he's a guy worth fighting, worth watching because he's entertaining. And you know it's going to be a fun, fun fight. All right, some fights under the radar before we say goodbye. Uh, Adam Lopez versus Isaac Dogbay at lightweight. Uh, like that matchup. That's a crossroads fight. Over on the zone undercard, Beck the Bully, the fast-rising 168-pounder who was supposed to fight Kovalev in his last fight before Kovalev popped for PEDs is fighting Gabe Rosado. I thought Rosado beat Jacobs in his last fight. I want to watch that one. I don't think it's going the distance. Isaac Cruz, Francisco Vargas. Yes, that Francisco Vargas who fought at the lower weights is moving all the way up to lightweight to face Isaac Cruz, who is a force at 135, who's knocking on the door at the champs at 135, which is Tia Fimo Lopez. Probably not going to get that fight. So that's the weekend of fights. 
I need a drink of water because I have never talked this much in my life. Usually I have guests on the show, but I wanted to break down all these fights for you. It is a great time to be a fight fan. There's fights around the clock. Heavyweights coming this summer. Pacquiao coming this summer. Canelo coming in the fall. Tiafimo Lopez is, of course, going to be fighting uh, in the end of the summer now. God willing, he uh, you know, recovers from COVID. So it's a great time to be a boxing fan. Don't let anyone tell you that it's not because it is. 